It's the podcast specifically for the Australian country music industry. Our country. Conversations with prominent Australian country music identities. Recorded and produced in Tamworth, Australia's country music capital at Radio 2TM. And now, the host of our country, 2TM presenter and award-winning singer-songwriter, Sally Ann Witten. Welcome to the next episode of Our Country, our podcast series from 2TM where we get to talk to all sorts of people from the Australian country music industry. And my guest today, I'm delighted to be having a great conversation here with Max Ellis. Max is one of the founders of the Tamworth Country Music Festival and it's so good, Max, to be able to finally sit down and uh, have a chat about all things country music and in particular... I wanted to touch on the origins of the Tamworth Country Music Festival. As you were right there amongst it, one of the founders, how did it all begin? Well, it's interesting, Sally, that I'm sitting here with you (laughs) and you're really a product of what we hoped to achieve when we started the festival and started the awards way back in the early 70s. In fact, we'd been uh, operating for quite some years before and in 1969, I think, we'd declared Tamworth country music capital without much basis for that but we had faith yeah and uh, we called it country music capital and it gradually started catching on to our delight of course and um, from there the next step of course was to uh, set up the country music awards we discussed those in a lot of detail there's a bit of legendary stuff about Johnny Ashcroft making a comment at a at a gold record presentation that why can't Australia have awards like they have in America? Well, we'd already thought considerably about it and um, it wasn't that comment that made us go ahead. We were already planning it. So by the early 70s, we were already thinking about having a series of awards and uh, I guess the festival had not... uh, imprinted itself on our minds as much as the awards in those first years. The awards were the crucial thing that we were on about. We were broadcasters. It was a broadcast event, even though uh, it was an important live event as well. But we were already at that stage, um, I think the first awards went only to Gunnedah, 2MO, to our sister station at 2MO, or our brother station. Um, but uh, we're already thinking of it as a broadcast event, which it subsequently became, of course. It became Mm. one of the biggest networked events in Australian radio for many years. And when you say we, Max, who else was here driving that sort of effort? Well, it was a group of people at 2TM, and I guess in many ways we were a fairly unusual group to find in a commercial radio station in the country. Uh, we had Warwick Higginbotham, who was the son of the founder of the station. And Warwick was very open-minded. He was not a traditional radio person. He was young, and uh, he saw the possibilities fairly early in the piece. We had John Minson, who was our real country music um, foundation member, I suppose, who was actually a jazz fan who had been pushed into doing a country music <laughs> program Crossed when over to the, dark the side. country music uh, man had gone back to Canada uh, and John was uh, taking over the Saturday morning program and from that we gradually over a period of time developed Hoedown. Um, we had Kevin Knapp who was a traditional radio broadcaster 
but had worked in Lismore when they had a famous program, a country music program called, um, oh God, I've forgotten what it's called now, very famous, but I've forgotten its name. Uh, and that was, um, so Kevin had a bit of background in country music, though he was not necessarily a country music fan. He was really a, a person who was a broadcaster. Mm -hmm. And we had Eric Scott, who of course, at that stage had started Hadley Records, recently had come back to Tamworth, got a job with 2TM because he was a broadcaster originally from Tasmania. And um, so that was our little group and me, and I had no knowledge of country music, no idea. I'd only just heard of this fellow called Slim Dusty, so I didn't really have <laughs> much of an idea of what it was all about. But I was a marketing man and a salesman I'd been I'd built my own ski lift in Norway and I'd been a ski instructor so wow. I had a few people <laughs> skills I suppose. Yeah absolutely. Uh, and so it all seemed exciting and new and fresh to me and so that little group is what covered we I guess. Mm. Now in addition to that we had people like George R. Clay who was a very experienced radio person, Del Foote at the station. Mm -hmm. And most of the people at the station were extremely supportive, mostly because I don't think they quite realised what they were getting into. <laughs> Hindsight's a wonderful thing, Hindsight isn't it? Hindsight is. <laughs> and I think our board probably fell into that category as well uh, because what we were doing was really, to use a word that's very common these days, was pretty unprecedented mm. in, in um, country radio in particular yeah. in Australia. That's um, a formidable group of people from all. And I, what I love about the story is that there's, as you say, a lot of you really didn't know that much about country music, but it was, just sounded like a fun project to get behind and something that might be good for Tamworth. And, mm. and you just all got involved and got on with it. And it's grown from strength to strength, obviously. Well, exactly. Since then. None of us, well, uh, none of us, I suppose, except for Eric, were real, what you would call, died in the wool country music fans. Mm. We recognised the possibility of creating a promotional event which in the end would be beneficial both for 2TM and for, for Tamworth. Uh, one of the points about 2TM was that we quite early in the piece decided that January was when we would do the awards because January was a very down month in those days. In Tamworth, most people who could headed for the coast. Mm. And so Tamworth business was pretty dead in January. We had a huge Christmas always, and then things would fall off the edge of the cliff for the rest of the month. Now, I've heard many business people in Tamworth over the, the last 20, almost 50 years, say, well, thank God for country music. It's like having a second Christmas. Yeah, and I feel that in way. in many ways. Absolutely. Uh, and not just from a point of view of um, selling a few extra loaves of bread but from the point of view of generating excitement mm. bringing people here and really creating an event that's na known nationally it's been voted as one of the top 10 music festivals in the world which is quite extraordinary mm. really when you think about some of the music festivals that go on around the world when you guys got together to put this together which i know you were saying started off really as an emphasis on the recognition of the awards mm. and the country music uh, community but did you ever 
Did any of you ever envisage that this would turn into what it has become today, the, the Tamworth Country Music Festival? I suppose no, not when you put it in those terms, in specific terms. But we're young and we're enthusiastic and we're very optimistic. And I'm a great believer in being determined. I think determination is one of the major factors of success in our lives, in any aspect of our lives. If you can believe in something and you're prepared to hang in there and push and push and push and fight and fight and fight and adapt to changing conditions and so on, but still have that objective in mind all the time, then the chances are you will achieve it. And I think the awards and the festival and the whole country music thing in Tamworth has has shown that 50 years of almost, 50, well, 50 years counting the preamble uh, have certainly shown that if you've got determination, enthusiasm, dedication and a continuity, that's also very important, a continuity of uh, direction, then you can achieve almost anything. And, and I think, uh, yeah, it's exciting, isn't it, that you think Tamworth in January before 1973 was just another boring, hot, dry mm. country town that people avoided like poison because it was too hot and yep. nothing ever happened there and you know it's come a long mm. way in a relatively short period of time mm. i mean 50 years is not in the scheme no. of things is not a huge amount of time what i really find it hard to get my head around all those names uh kevin knapp john minson in particular mm. these are names that are synonymous for me with australian country music mm. when you say that they weren't particularly died in the wool country music mm. fans, but ended up as being, the, you know, Mr. Hoedown, John Minson. It was his, my childhood country music in a name. Mm. What is it about, particularly perhaps Australian country music, do you think, Max, that converts people who, like John, was a, a jazz fan into a country music fan? What is it about the genre? Well, I think one thing about it is that it's very accessible. And in those days, it was even more accessible because it was a relatively small group of people in those days. Uh, it had enjoyed a great burst of popularity in the 50s with when, when things like Pub With No Beer was a huge seller and so on and so forth. And there was a lot of excitement about it. But once rock and roll started creeping in and then came in with a big wave in the late 50s, mm -hmm. uh, country music was relegated to the back blocks. Uh, the only place you'd hear it would be early morning radio. I remember Joy McKeon telling me how she used to be in Doyle's Creek down in the upper Hunter Valley and they would listen to 2TM doing a, a, a more early morning music to milk by sort of thing. Oh. Uh, and wow. um, uh, later on 2TM in fact had a lunchtime program but it wasn't generally accepted as music that would go on at all times. And um, I think it's, um, it, it did really suffer during those years in the, early, the late 50s and early 60s. And um, it was in the late 60s that TTM started realising that this was an area that we could get involved with. And we started running live shows. We'd have Slim Dusty or Tex Morton or whoever was around, really, 
or Jimmy Little, uh, all names of the day, to come and do live shows in the town hall generally in Tamworth and that all fed into, into Hoedown and Hoedown had started off really as a, as a Saturday morning country music program with a guy called Ken McEwen who was a Canadian bloke and he'd, gone, he'd got married to a Tamworth girl and gone back to Canada uh, and uh, I've often wondered, I've never spoken to Ken but I've often wondered what he made of the industry mm, that developed out of yeah. his little uh, first steps but um, then John took over and then it was decided when television started in the early 70s the late 60s and early 70s that really decimated Australian country uh, Australian radio audiences people traditionally had listened to breakfast as the major one of the major programs but also night radio was huge that was when all the big quiz shows were on yes. radio yep. it was when uh, the serials were on and people used to listen to radio at night mm. there was no alternative and when television came along it immediately destroyed half of radio's dedicated audience mm. and radio struggled desperately during that period commercial radio went through a very, very difficult period. And um, the idea of putting a country music show into the night program came from that desperation. They thought, well, we thought in those days, what are we going to do at night? We've got no audience suddenly. Mm. Uh, and we were used to having big audiences at night. And so Kevin and uh, Del Foot and, uh, and John, I suppose, all sat down they came up with the idea of uh, a segmented programming at night where they would have a jazz program one night half an hour of jazz half an hour of something next night and so on and in those days we even had a classical music program on sunday night would you believe how fancy yeah, very <laughs> extraordinary when you think about yeah. it yeah but um, one of those half hours was a, a half hour country music program and already we'd made some contacts with people like Slim and Joy and Buddy Williams and so on. Uh, and um, so we started this half hour program and over the years it developed from half an hour on 2TM into a full evenings program on 2TM and 4WK in Toowoomba and also in the end of an all night country music program. So. It certainly worked, that idea. But what it did was introduce us to the wider world of country music. Uh, we suddenly started backing up our radio program with the live shows. Um, I always remember on those early posters, which you can still see in Walker Country Mile here, we used the slogan, worth traveling 100 miles to see. That was our shows. And you think, well, 100 miles, God, these days you drive that every day to yeah, the office. That's you know, right. It's hard. <laughs> um, and um, it was, um, it, it, we've, one of the first programs we did was, funnily enough, backing up another 2DM promotion called the House of 2DM Built. Yes. Which was a charity, uh, it was a charity art union with an exhibition house that we'd built. Uh, in 
South Tamworth. It's still there in Wangala Street. Yep. And um, the, it became the prize in a big art union and it was raising funds for the kidney clinic, kidney, yeah, kidney clinic and, and uh, Nazareth House, I think. And um, one of the, we, we'd had some trouble getting enough tickets sold and we'd used all sorts of things. I travelled all over the northwest trying to make sure we were selling tickets and did all sorts of things. But one of the promotions we did was a Reg Lindsay concert an entry was with a dollar ticket into the art union. Uh-huh. And so we sold a thousand art union tickets, which was great. Awesome. But we also, in many ways, kicked off our concert programs because that was so popular and so well received that we could see there was a market for more of this stuff. And that's when we started off with our concerts of worth driving 100 miles yeah it's a really unique thing for a radio station to be promoting uh as you say a style of music which wasn't mainstream Mm. popular at that time Mm. and to be able to back it up with radio programming it's a really amazing thing well you see i i guess that's where i came into the picture in that i didn't realize it wasn't something that people did all the time seemed to me so logical was that we yeah was, we were running this fantastic marketing tool a commercial radio station uh, we had all the people there we had the enthusiasm and we had the resources the financial resources to be able to do it and um, it seemed a logical thing to do traditional radio people always looked a bit askance at this because their idea of traditional country radio or all commercial radio was to sell advertising to other people, Mm. not necessarily to do anything themselves. Yes. was to sell Kellogg's or whoever advertising for their product and then for us to create a vehicle to carry that advertising. And we turned that upside down and created our own events and sold our own tickets to our own events and uh, yeah, it's it's still something that isn't done widely in commercial radio. Not at all. Uh, but it seems to have worked with us because obviously the other example of that, which all happened in 1973 as well, was Aquip. Mm. And that's also a promotion which is owned by the radio stations or used to be yep. for many years, for decades, and uh, was them promoting their own event. So that also worked extremely well. And in both of those cases, I always like to point this out, both of those um, events are events which are very, very appropriate for country areas, country venues. So we weren't trying to do a rock and roll in the country or or a fashion show, a vogue fashion show in Gunnedah. Yeah. We were doing something that was even more important and more relevant, and that was an agricultural show in Gunnedah and country music in Tamworth. So they're both entirely appropriate events. I think that's the key, isn't it? Knowing your market a little Mm, bit. (laughs) Absolutely. So, Max, when you see, uh, after all those years ago, starting out with such humble beginnings which grew and grew and grew to now what is not only just the Tamworth Country Music Festival, but really that's where the Australian country music industry evolved Mm. from. If we didn't have 2TM doing all that work in those days and people like 
uh, all of the people that you just mentioned before working behind the scenes on uh, the Country Music Awards and pulling together the Tamworth Country Music Festival, we wouldn't have the industry that we have today. So what are your thoughts on how the Australian country music industry has progressed? We've moved a long way away from that Mm. style of traditional country music, although they're still very uh, well represented, I think, Mm. and and I think um, in a really good new modern way as well. Mm. There's some really wonderful new traditional singers still coming through representing the genre. But how do you feel about the progression of the industry? First of all, I, I absolutely endorse what you say. Before 2TM started the awards, there was no country music industry in Australia. Country music was very fragmented. Uh, People like Slim and Joy and Buddy and Tex and so on, they hardly knew each other. They might see each other in Thargaminda on a Tuesday night (laughs) as one was going east and one was going west. That's right, yeah. But they had no concept or no feeling of... of, uh, family of country music. They didn't belong had, anywhere. Or belonging anywhere, exactly. And I think um, it was 2TM and the awards that really pulled all those disparate elements together and turned them into an industry and gave country music people a real pride in what they were doing, mm. uh, a purpose. Um, and I think... Um, it introduced a whole new element into the Australian music scene. And I guess I'm a bit biased in this, but I've always felt that the Australian side of country music is so vital to our whole cultural uh, existence in Australia. And country music carried on that cultural side of country music in a way that uh, rock and roll and all those other international genres have never been able to do. We, we not only um, preserved the links with our real traditional elements of music, the folk music, the, the, the um, music that uh, came with the first fleet and so on and so forth, we expanded that link and, and that consciousness that we owe so much to the past. Uh, we're not just music for today, we're music for tomorrow today and yesterday and I hope that will always be conscious a conscious uh, uh, thought for, for country music people in Australia I think there's a very strong link back with early country music days I mean people like Slim Dusty is still highly respected in country music even though he's now been gone almost 20 years. His album's still one of the yeah, top-selling exactly albums, right. and I think I can't see that changing anytime no. soon. No, and, and I mean, he, of course, he and, and his uh, cohort of people all were highly respectful of Banjo Patterson, Lawson, and the original Bush ball- the Bulletin Bush Balladists. So there's a direct link between the music the country music that we're hearing today and um, and the music that first started developing in Australia mm. in response to our unique environment here. Yes. Both people and country. And um, though you can hear bands from Tasmania sounding as though they're a rock and roll band <laughs> at times, If you go in and chat to those guys, they're very aware of the past and their heritage. 
Oh, it's and so important to know where we've come from. Absolutely. Mm. I remember I was lucky enough to have a chat with Joy McKean mm. about 12 months ago. Um, and I asked her what what she thought the secret of Slim's success mm. was. You know, still to this day, many years after his death, his album was still in the ARIA top 10 charts, mm. you know, and sitting there right on top of Keith Urban yeah. and, you know, these modern day crossover, mm. I would call them crossover country artists, mm. Slim is still up mm. there. And mm. why, what is the longevity of Slim's mm. music? And she, she had a really simple answer. She said, Slim wrote songs for the people. They're, yeah. they're songs that w- about life and they're songs about the land and they're songs that they're timeless and everybody can yeah. identify with that. And I think that's one of the things about country music that sets us apart from other people is that they are exactly that. We're telling stories of the land, stories of the yep. of the people, and it's always something that we can identify with. Yes, that's right. And it's going to be very interesting in the future because I don't think Slim ever wrote a song about social media. No, <laughs> I reckon never, he would have, though. He would have. He would have, <laughs> for sure. But I don't think he has a, book, a song about Facebook, for instance. No, no, you're right. It's going to be interesting in 50 years' time mm. to see uh, whether the, those links with modern culture are preserved and, and integrated into the music in the way that he integrated normal life. Mm. And I, I agree with Joy. I think it's very much he sang about the lives that people were living. Yes. And so he painted a very accurate picture in many ways of, of contemporary life in the bush away from the capital cities during the second half of the 20th century. Mm. Now, it's, that's always going to be an historical, from an historical point of view, very interesting. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the new cohort carries on with their interpretation of that sort of... Uh, reflection of life mm. Mm. time will tell and I that think. is what country music's about I keep saying all the time country music I, I once wrote a thing for Capital News called narrative 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 because content is king in country music or queen and um, we we tend to perhaps look at some of the crossover material which is losing the emphasis of the story mm. and I think country music without a story ain't country music that's probably a fair comment I think Max mm. yeah uh, one of the good things that I love about country music and which it can be its downfall I think as a genre listen to me talking like I'm an expert but is the You're all in- well you know I've got some cred there I think <laughs> I think the all-inclusiveness of mm. of the style is great and mm. it's healthy and it's good to see it evolve and and I think that also brings in new audience uh, and my theory with that always is you know, take the festival, for example, when we get somebody like Guy Sebastian, for example, Mm. come to the Country Music Festival here in Tamworth. Lots of people are upset because he's not a country music singer. What I always hope for is by including other things like that, that Mm. someone will come to see Guy Sebastian, Mm. pop their head in to see Ann Kirkpatrick across the road and go, oh, so this is country music. Mm. This is cool. I love it. Um, But I also, I think what you're saying or what you're alluding to there too is um, that it can also water things down a little bit or change Mm. the direction. Uh, No, I agree with you though. I mean, I think over the years, country music has had 
leavening from other influences. I yeah. mean, people like Johnny Chester were one of the, the foundation country music people in Victoria, for example. Yeah. Uh, an old rock and roller. Cole Joy won several golden guitars yes. in the early years because he was genuinely interested and he, he, for many years he was a, a real country music person in the sense that he loved the music, he sang it, uh, he wrote it and, and it was part of his life. And I think um, that's, that's a wonderful thing about country music. You don't have to be the world's greatest songwriter to write a country song. You don't have to be the world's greatest guitarist to play a country guitar. It's accessible music that the man and woman in the street can access, be part of, and be part of the scene. But I guess reverting back to this uh, historical link, I think it's very important that that we've got bush ballads still. Yes. Sure, bush ballads have changed. I mean, even Slim didn't sound like Tex Morton in 1949. That's right. He sounded he sounded like Slim in 2003. Mm. Had a very slick backing band. People like Rod Coe introduced. Well, who would have thought that Slim would have a double bass on I stage? I know. You know, or a drummer. Or a drummer, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, music evolves all the time. Yeah. But if we can make it evolve while we keep in mind the history of what it's all about, we've got something that's not only unique musically, but is unique culturally as well. Spot on, Max. Mm. That's the quote of the decade for me. You just summed it up in one sentence right there. Absolutely perfect. Um, So we touched a little bit on social media. We were talking Mm. about that. Obviously, you know, when the festival was started, there was no such thing as um, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, anything like that. How do you think if we were kicking off something like this today uh, here at 2TM with BAL Marketing, Mm. Uh, or the equivalent of whatever would be around now. How do you think it would be differ in the planning and the promotion of a festival or awards like that? Do you think it's made things easier or in some ways a little bit harder? No, in some ways a bit harder because I think in those days our audience was uh, fairly... uh, Well, we proved it was much wider than people thought it was for a start. But we were able to get to the core of the market fairly simply in one way by making sure that people like Slim and Joy, when they were touring, they talked about Tamworth all the time, Mm. constantly. So they were one of our best promotions in the early days. Uh, They'd go off. Michael Cook used to go with them in the early years from Tamworth, another Tamworth person. And so they would say, and we're looking for, this is a song that's entered in the awards in Tamworth and the crowd will cheer and so on. They all know all about it because half of them listen to O Down anyway, yep. wherever they lived. And um, we were lucky that Ho Down had that reach in radio terms in that it was a clear channel station and at night its signal did get over a huge area of Eastern Australia. But certainly... Um, we quickly, I mean, that's one reason we developed Capital News in those early days, because we wanted our own publication. And that started off just as a tiny little A5, folded A5 program for the first or second festival. Well, the first festival was a little blue book, 
second was a capital news and by third or fourth we had developed capital news as a as a one edition newspaper which developed into the monthly that you see now or almost monthly that you see now and um, it became a very important part but we also we were promoters and we owned a radio station don't forget and we had access to other radio stations and in fact the industry in periods like uh, the late 70s and early 80s we had an industry body called Country Music Australia which in fact used to send out a jingle every January to every commercial radio station in Australia. Wow. Uh, January is Country Music Month. Yeah, I, I remember that. Yes, <laughs> I remember that. And uh, and and we we received support from all sorts of people. So I think one of the greatest accolades we ever got was from uh, a man called Christy, oh, I've forgotten his surname now, who was the Australian correspondent for Billboard magazine. Mm. And he called country music the best promoted music in Australia. And in those days, it certainly was. Now, mm. times have changed. Uh, we're not so high profile as we were in many ways. Uh, and that's a product of diversification of media, I think. I mean, I'm no expert nowadays. But uh, there's so many alternatives and it's hard to target market a country music audience like we used to. The other thing is that our surveys show that something like 23% of the national, of, na of adult Australians, 23% count country music as their favourite music. Something like 32% say they listen to it with enjoyment and uh, the rest are broken up in various other categories. I reckon the rest listen to country music without even knowing that it's country music a, a <laughs> and like it. A lot of them do that. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And don't forget, back in the 70s, for instance, that, was ev that existed then too mm. because people like Islands in the... Uh, songs like Islands in the Stream, uh, The Gambler, those weren't counted as country That's music right. hits. That's right. They were pop songs. They were pop songs. Yeah. And yet you couldn't get more country than those. Absolutely. And and even Pub With No Beer, I mean, I don't think people called that country. They called it a novelty song, yep. really. Mm. Yeah, it's funny, isn't so, it? Uh, and read back on the toilet seat. God almighty, it sold hundreds of thousands. And no one ever labelled it as country music, except Eric, on the back of his record, said, recorded in country music capital which got that message out again too. Mm. Oh, Max, there's so much I could ask you. I could be here for weeks and maybe we'll do that. <laughs> maybe we'll do a whole okay. series. I think it's really important that we, you know, document the history of the festival because it's so unique. Uh, but So we might get to that. But in finishing for our podcast today, and I want to thank you so much for your time and, and coming Pleasure. and sharing Sorry. it with, with our listeners. But um, if you were talking to somebody like a young me, you know, who who's thinking about maybe taking up a career in country music, what would you say to them? Well, I'd say there is a huge market there. I think it's very important for you to identify what part of that market you're going into and not be too broad in your approach. Uh, if you're going to, I believe there's a huge, huge potential 
for some really good bush balladists, young bush balladists. Yes. Uh, most young people obviously look into the contemporary field a bit more, uh, but I do believe there's a huge, huge desire from the from the market to support country music, uh, traditional country music types of com- not necessarily as I said 1948 type mm. but let's adapt something to our times and let's make sure that that side of it doesn't disappear and I think the fact that ABBA the Australian Bush Ballad Association has something like 2,000 members or something mm. shows that there's a strong depth of support for that that approach to, mu- to our music but certainly, make sure that you're, you you uh, like what you're doing, you're comfortable with it, and get in and keep on doing it. Determination and continuity, they're the things. That is excellent advice. Excellent <laughs> so advice, I'm sure Max. you're following it, Sally. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> Max Ellis, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat all things country music and the, particularly the beginnings of country music today. Thank you for being our guest on Our Country. Thank you very much, Sally. It's a pleasure. And it's one of the bonuses of being in, living in country music capital. Absolutely. Our Country, the Australian country music industry podcast, is a production of Radio 2TM Tamworth. Our host is Sally Ann Witten. 